Welcome to today's podcast, Casting Down Idols. This is the podcast where we talk about addictions and recovery from a biblical point of view. I'm your host, Pastor Mike Dixon, and I'm addressing the problem of addictions from my own personal experience, but most importantly, from a biblical perspective. Whether it's drugs, alcohol, sex, shopping, gambling, or overeating, or whatever struggle you may be facing, I want you to know there's hope for change. It's my prayer that through this podcast, you'll pick up some tools and encouragement that will enable you to live addiction-free. I've been clean and sober now for 31 years, and you can too. So let's learn, grow, let's encourage one another on this road called recovery. All right, welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad you're tuning in. This is episode number two of season number two. I want to thank you for listening. Also, if you've not done so already, if you would subscribe to the podcast, that way every time we release a new episode, you'll get a notification about that. If you'll go to iTunes and maybe leave us a positive review, a five-star rating would be very helpful as well. I'd also love to hear from you. My email address is pastormike at obcbaptist.org. It's also listed on the host page for this podcast. You can find it there. I'd love to hear from you. If this podcast is being a blessing to you in any way, or maybe there's something I could pray about for you, I would be honored to do that if you would share those requests with me. Like a copy of my book, Casting Down Idols Through the Power of the Gospel, you can find that on Amazon.com as well as other online bookstores. I want to say just a word about the life ministry. If you're anywhere near Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, we have a wonderful addiction recovery ministry. We meet every Tuesday night at Oakdale Baptist Church's location. That's 13037 U.S. 64 Alternate West Highway in Rocky Mount. We meet every Tuesday night. It's, it's an addiction recovery ministry open to men and women. We always begin at 630 with a free meal. And then we try to conclude by 9 o'clock each Tuesday night. We'd love to have you. It's all free of charge, including the meal. And so we invite you to come and be a part of that. If you've been tuning in to previous episodes, you know that my plans for season two, and this is the second episode in this new season, is to share stories of people who have been delivered by the power of God. I want you to know you don't have to stay the way that you are. There is a power beyond our power to change you, deliver you, whatever the addiction is, whatever the struggle is that you're undergoing. And before I introduce my guest today, I want to share one of my favorite passages of Scripture on this topic of being delivered from addictions. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. And Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards. And I'll pause right there just to remind you in the Bible that word drunkard, it actually represents all types of substance abuse addiction. So alcohol addiction, drug addiction, it covers it all. And that's in this list. He says, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, will inherit the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he goes through this long list of habitual lifestyle sins. And Paul says, you're not going to find these people in heaven. And it's not because works bring us to heaven, but it's because if you're saved and you've got Christ living in you, your behavior is going to be different. The very next verse is the verse I want you to pay attention to. It's in verse 11. The Holy Spirit through Paul says, and such were some of you. 
I just want to pause and ask you, is that past tense, present tense, or future tense? That's past tense. Paul's writing to Christians at the church at Corinth, and he goes through this long list of habitual lifestyle sins. A lot of them are sexual in nature, but also um, substance abuse addictions, alcoholism, drunkards, all these that he just mentioned here. And then he gets to the good news in verse 11, and he's saying in so many words, you used to be those things, but you're not anymore. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You don't have to stay the way you are. Today we've got a good friend of mine, a brother in Christ, Pastor Philip Bozeman, pastors at Mildred Baptist Church in Mildred, North Carolina, and he's going to share his story of transformation and salvation and he's just going to share his heart with us today a little bit about what God has done in his life. Philip, so good to have you with us today. Glad to be here, Pastor Mike. Glad to be here. Thanks for being on the podcast. And where I'd like to start, Philip, if you just begin to tell our listeners who you are now. All right, I'd like to start off by saying thank you, of course, and I'll tell you all a little bit about where I'm at now. Uh, as Pastor Mike said a while ago, my name is Philip Bozeman, and I am a pastor. I've been pastoring Mildred Missionary Baptist Church for three years now. Thank the Lord for that. Uh, married for almost nine years, three wonderful children, uh, and that certainly is a blessing. Uh, just celebrated being 30 years old this past February, and I, I'm thankful for that. Uh, there was a time when I didn't think that I was going to make it to 30 years old. Uh, so the Lord's definitely... Uh, been mighty good to me, and I'm thankful for that. I'm glad to be a pastor. That's a privilege and an honor. It's amazing what the Lord can do with somebody if you'll just allow them uh, to have control in your life. And so certainly a lot to rejoice over. just want to tell you all that uh, God can take the, the bottom feeders, so to speak, and uh, he can turn you into somebody if you'll let them. That's right. And, and I'm just thankful for that. I like to start off by uh, just giving God all the glory. Oh, yes, amen. Uh, making sure that I don't try and take any praise for myself because nope. uh, I'll be real honest. If you'd asked me when I was 15 years old, uh, do you want to be a pastor when you grow up? That was the furthest thing from my mind. If I, you would have asked me when I was 15 years old if I was going to have a wife and, and three children, yeah. that was the furthest thing from my mind. I, I didn't want any of those things yep. uh, when I was growing up. But uh, that's the way that God operates when he comes to live inside somebody. He changes you, and I'm thankful oh, for right. that. Amen. You know, the scripture tells us that uh, if anybody's in Christ, he is a new creature. And yep. I just told Pastor Mike a while ago before we got started, I don't look back on my uh, past a whole lot. Just I don't like to reflect on it too much. Uh, but I have the past few days once he asked me if I'd be willing to share my testimony. And it's amazing to go back and look and and think about who I used to be. It's like I don't even recognize that yeah, person yeah, anymore. That's yeah. that's the power uh, of my God. He can yes, change you right. on the inside, yep. and, and I'm thankful for that. So I yep. just wanted to start off by telling you all a little bit where I'm at now. I am a pastor, and that's all to God's glory, a wonderful wife and wonderful children. Uh, but to be honest, that's not always been my story. That's not always been where I've been at. That's, mm -hmm. not, that's not how I started out. So I try and share a little bit with you about where the Lord brought me from to where he's brought me to now. Yeah. And Philip, I, tell us a little bit about your family. You're married. How many children? Uh, three children. I have uh, two girls and one boy. My right. oldest is Peyton. She's she's seven. Olivia, she's five. And Hudson, he'll be a year old in a few days. All so right. All kinds of excitement yes, in sir. your house. Yes, sir. Yeah, man. You're blessed. Yes, sir. We're tired. Amen. But we're blessed. <laughs> That's right. Amen. So kind of take us back. You're a pastor now. You're, you're a family man. You're 
faithful husband, a yes, devoted sir. father. Yes, sir. But it's not always been that way. No, sir, it's not always been that way. I look back and I'm ashamed of who I used to be, but thank Lord I'm not that anymore. Amen. That's I right. guess the old saying goes, I'm not everything that I should be, but I'm not what I used to be. But yeah. uh, I don't want to ramble on about that. But I, I do want to share where the Lord brought me from. I guess everybody, if you're really being honest, everybody has a testimony. If you're saved, yep. if you're washed in the blood of Jesus, you have a testimony. I agree. Yep. I heard one guy explain it like this. Everybody has uh, their own Damascus road. You know, old yep. Paul uh, was Saul, but when he met Jesus on that Damascus road, uh, he became Paul after the Lord Jesus saved him. So everybody's got a, that road in their life, that moment. If you're saved, mm-hmm. you have that moment yep. when you come in contact with Jesus and he saved you and he changed you. But uh, Brother Phil, let me, let me ask you this. Don't okay. you believe, you know, I, I believe um, we don't live in the past. You know, the past right. is in the past, just right. like Paul said. But we don't need to forget. We need to never forget That's where right. God's brought us from. That's right. Yes, That's right. amen. That's right. Yep. Uh, you never want to forget what the Lord did for you. I think that keeps you humble. Yeah. I think it keeps you thankful. Uh, you never want to forget how wonderful it was. Uh, you never want to, I mean, that, that, that that's power. If you really study the life of Paul, Take him, for example. If you study the life of Paul, the main thing that he did is he just went around telling everybody what Jesus did for him. He said, I used to be this, but now I'm this. And I think that we should do that same thing. That's right. Uh, That is part of our testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. We can give him praise and honor and glory and lead others to him by explaining what he has done for us. And I'm I'm thankful for that. Amen. Um, But uh, I guess my story kind of, I guess I started off like this. A lot of times when people share addiction stories, they talk about how they grew up in a bad home or grew up in a bad neighborhood or had this difficulty in life or this difficulty in life. And I guess mine's a little bit different in that aspect. I, I, I grew up in a great home. I, as far as a home could go without being a Christian home, I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but I did grow up in a home and I had a, a loving mother and a loving father. Amen. Uh, my sister was much older than me, but while she was still at home, she, she loved me. She helped watch out for me, take care of me. Uh, so I, I, I guess it's important to say that uh, drugs are not biased to, to where you're at. That's drugs right. can affect anybody yep. at any time. It doesn't matter if you're on the good side of town or the bad side of town, a family that's that true. has money or, or doesn't yep. have money. It, it, no it, respect to a person. That's right. That's right. That's right. So uh, my story starts off uh, probably – Probably about the sixth grade, I'd say, is probably where it starts off. Uh, up to this point, life was pretty good. I was always a really good student, always at the top of my class, always made good grades, never got in trouble in school, always a pretty decent individual, I guess you would say, as uh-huh. far as morality goes. But in the sixth grade, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so they had to, you know, mom and dad had to kind of focus in on that. Mom had to take chemotherapy and uh, mom had to do all those other types of things that go along with that radiation and doctor's appointments and so forth and so forth and so on. And in the midst of all of that, I kind of, not that I was forgotten about, they didn't forget about Mm -hmm. me, but it was kind of, I had a lot of time on my hands. Uh, I guess I got to back up a little bit more too. We, we, We moved a lot. We okay. never moved far, but we moved a whole lot. So mm-hmm. we'd move from one side of town to the other side of town and change school districts and stuff like that. And all these things were taking place kind of at the same time. And uh, I, I guess I just, uh, in the midst of mom being diagnosed with breast cancer and and, and them focusing on that, I kind of, 
just kind of got mixed in with the wrong crowd, mm-hmm. uh, so to speak. You know, I got mixed in with people. You know, let, let me say this along the lines of what you're saying. I can relate to your story so far because uh, we all grew up in a sinful world. Right. Sin always brings pain and division. Right. You know, the, the enemy got me to a place real young, probably about the same age as you, where I felt like I wasn't getting the, I guess, attention right. that right. I, my heart longed for, right. especially from, uh, from my dad. Right. Uh, for various reasons there. And if folks want to listen to my testimony, it's one of the first episodes I did on this podcast. And then I started looking for anybody that would accept me. The enemy is going to have somebody there. Right, right. To try to fill that void. Right. And of course, the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy, according to Jesus in John right. chapter 10, verse 10. Yeah. So even so far, man, I can relate. And I'm sure a lot of folks listening so far to your story can relate. And that's the enemy's, that's the enemy's goal to get us to that place where we feel like we're all alone. Uh, we're not accepted. You know, we're not fitting in and right. ever how he wants to do that. Uh, in First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, there's a wonderful promise that says, no temptation has laid hold on you that's not common to that's man. Right. That's right. That part of that verse right there and that promise is very important because nothing that comes upon us as individuals is just something we're struggling that's with. That's right. Yeah. Wasn't it Solomon who said nothing new under the sun? There you go. Yeah. That's yeah. right. That's right. But it probably really uh, jump-started about sixth grade. I guess I was dealing, I, you know, teenagers don't know all these things, but I guess I, looking back, I was dealing with depression. I was dealing with feeling lonely. I was dealing with uh, kind of being an outcast when we would move around and things of that nature. And I guess I just kind of made my mind up that I wanted to be the coolest. I wanted to be the, I wanted to be the guy that everybody liked. And so... Uh, my story really kind of started uh, with rebellion mm-hmm. is where it really started at. I didn't just one day wake up and say, hey, you know what I'm going to do? I won't try drugs. I, it didn't start there. It kind of started with rebellion. I started getting in trouble in school. I started being the class clown. I started, you know, uh, getting sent to in-school suspension. Later on, ended up being suspended from school. I just wanted to be the loudest, the funniest. Mm-hmm. I wanted the most attention because yeah, so I guess I didn't, yeah. I, I didn't think I was getting enough at home. And so it just all kind of started uh, right there and uh, ended up making some friends. And we all would just see kind of how far we could push each other. It was always who had the, who got in the most trouble at school that mm-hmm. day, who got in school suspension the longest or who got suspended the longest or contest in the wrong way it was it was it was a contest in the wrong way we were just kind of searching out being the baddest i guess you could say and so it all kind of started in that rebellion and i and i and i think a lot of it kind of started with the influences that i was allowed to have in my life i was allowed to listen to whatever kind of music i wanted to and i grew up kind of in the rap area of things and uh, i was listening to Uh, A lot of rap music that talked about doing drugs and talked about Mm -hmm. drinking and talked about having sex and talked about partying and talked about uh, selling drugs. And before you know it, it started transitioning from just this rebellion at school into a a, a more outward rebellion, a, a rebellion against mom and dad, a rebellion against Everything, really, I guess you could say. Authority, especially. It it was. It was. It was a rebellion against authority. I wanted to do wrong uh, to whoever. I just, that's just, I don't know. That's just Mm -hmm. who I was. That's who I was turning into. And before all this, I was just a, I mean, a a kind-hearted kid, you know, but Mm -hmm. all this started taking place and that rebellion really got a hold of me. uh, And that's where it started kind of transitioning to. This is still around sixth grade? Still around sixth grade. It was. 
all kind of around sixth grade is where all this was kind of taking place. And uh, I guess the story kind of goes, mama ended up, uh, her cancer ended up going into remission. She ended up finishing her chemotherapy and all those things. And while that was great, thank the Lord for that. Yeah. Uh, while all that was great, that rebellion that started in me didn't stop. It just kept going mm-hmm. and just kept going. I guess uh, looking back, I probably, uh, the first thing that I ended up doing, I probably started smoking cigarettes first is, is where it kind of started. And I, I'm not really, I don't know if I necessarily believe in gateway drugs, but mm-hmm. I do believe in gateway people, if, if that kind of kind of kind of okay. makes sense. Uh-huh. Uh it's just, uh, and I started hanging out with friends, and and they were smoking, so I started smoking. Yeah, yeah. I ended up getting caught by uh, by my mom. Thirteen years old, got caught by my mom smoking, and I guess she felt bad because she was a smoker, mm. and so uh, it's I, I'm ashamed to even say this, but instead of telling me not to smoke. Mama started buying me cigarettes mm. uh, because she felt, I guess, bad because she yeah. was a smoker. How can, How she, can tell she tell me you? That's right. Not to smoke. Yeah. And so, man, I man, that was making me like the cool guy. You know, uh-huh. all my friends were struggling to get their cigarettes, but I had, I had all you could, you could think of. I was uh, 13 years old, and I was probably smoking a, a carton a week. Oh yeah. Uh, and things of that. And, yeah. Um, I guess that just wasn't making me feel cool enough. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, yeah, I'm smoking, but everybody's smoking. I, I want to be cooler. I yeah. want to be badder. Yeah. I want to be, I want folks to look at me and say, man, that, that's a crazy guy right there. Yeah. That, that, yeah. that guy is bad to uh-huh. the bone. And so. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, right there, you know, that's even a sign of addiction. I mean, people can be addicted to all kinds of things other than drugs and alcohol. Right. I mean, to want to be noticed, uh, right. to want recognition, right. you know, to want to be popular, to be famous. And any kind of addiction, it's never satisfied. Right, right. You know, it's always you got to have more. You got to right. have more. You got to have more. Right. You know, your tolerance builds up. You know, just what you're saying. Yeah. You know, so it didn't stop at cigarettes, but you know, you got hooked on smoking, and so there you are smoking. A kid in school, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, uh, whatever. And uh, how'd that progress? Where'd you go from there? Uh, after smoking cigarettes for a while, I guess, and uh, that just wasn't enough. Um, I, and I guess just me and my buddies hanging out, we all, all kind of started talking about uh, getting high. You know, we watch movies, folks are getting high. We listen to music, folks are getting high. So that curiosity is sparked in your mind. And yeah. you just wonder kind of, uh, what's that like? What's it like to get high? And mm-hmm. so I kind of started out on my quest to get high for the first time. And I remember trying to buy some drugs from school uh-huh. uh, for the first time that I was going to get high. And I mean, you know, you, I didn't know anything about any of this type of stuff and ended up getting kind of ripped off and they, they didn't sell me the right thing. Or, and so, uh, but anyway, that fell through for me getting high at school so or, or from school, getting it from school. And so I knew somebody uh, that was much older than me, probably 11 years older than me. And um, they were, as a matter of fact, they probably, they, not probably, they did show me uh, marijuana for the first time. I ended up talking to them. And they ended up uh, introducing me to getting high for the first time. Uh-huh. I remember sitting on their back porch, 13 years old, sitting on their back porch, smoking my uh, my first blunt. I was 13, just sitting there. And I remember uh, just being so dumbfounded and silly and goofy. And I remember the light would flash, and I'd just sit there and laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. And uh, needless to say, man, all it took was that first time, and mm-hmm. I, I was in love. I loved it. Yeah. I, I loved that feeling. I loved the escape that I thought I was getting from yeah. all the cares of the world yeah. and 
uh, getting away from all the pressures that I was feeling. And, and so uh, after I got high for that first time, then I wanted it to be a second time. Then I wanted it to be a third time. Yeah, and always I, a little better, a little more, a little, little higher. More, yeah, so you were just chasing that next time. Mm-hmm. That's what I started living for. You're talking to somebody that was a straight-A student, and by the end of this, I'll, I'll get there in a minute, but by the end of this, man, I was flunking out of high school because yeah. I got so caught up and just chasing that high. Mm-hmm. And so I started smoking weed, and I think that was probably the biggest jump for me right there that kind of really, really kind of took me over that edge, just uh, took me from being a kind of a mischievous kid to being a full-blown rebel, I guess you would really say yeah. is what I was. So I started smoking weed, and I smoked just weed for a while, and I was content with that for a while. But being 13 years old, it was kind of hard to always – get your hands on weed yeah. and so i started doing i'd do anything to get high really i remember during the time my dad he would he, he used to drink and um i remember sneaking liquor from him trying to get a buzz mm-hmm. and i remember uh i would drink cough syrup straight out the bottle uh, i would overdose on cough medicine mm-hmm. uh, pill forms just trying to get high so whatever you could get your hands whatever on whatever i could get my yeah. hands on and so i did all that for a while it was leading me down a bad road it was starting to affect me in school. Mm. It's like my rebellion was getting more outwardly. And um, so it kind of all got, this is the way sin works. It's like a snowball. Mm-hmm. It starts off small and it just keeps rolling and rolling and rolling. And as it rolls, it just it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But I smoked weed for a while and I was pretty content with that. And I would try and, you know, get high on household stuff, you know, and try and steal my dad's alcohol. Mm-hmm. And I would try and... Um, you know, overdose on cough medicine and things like that. Uh, but then, I guess that just wasn't enough anymore. That wasn't cool enough because everybody else was trying to was start to smoke mm-hmm. weed. I think probably one of the worst things about my story is I always wanted to try and be the first. I wanted to try and do the most and be wow. the first okay. and be ahead of everybody else. So, uh, weed wasn't really cutting it anymore. And so, um, uh, the same individual uh, that let me get high with them for the first time uh, they introduced me to cocaine for the first time. Uh-huh. I was still 13 years old wow. uh, when this happened, and I was introduced for the cocaine for the first time. And that's an example of, um, well, all these people you've been referring to so far, the enemies used to uh, get you down the drug road, are those gateway people that yeah. you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. the gateway people. And um, so, I mean, I remember uh, we were riding around, I remember him reaching in his pocket and taking out a sack, and I mean, I, I never seen anything like this before. And I remember the little sack had a had a, a cut straw sitting kind of down in it. It was uh-huh. all kind of like a bread tie around it, kind of. And um, I remember him asking me if I wanted to try cocaine. I was like, Yeah, cool, let's do it. You know, no no hesitation, yeah. no nothing, man. Hey, let's get high. And uh, I remember filling that straw up for the first time, just put a little bit on the end of it, snorting it up. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I remember him explaining to me uh, what it was going to be like when I did it. He said, man, it's going to make you feel like Superman. Mm-hmm. And he was right. I did yeah. feel like Superman. I felt invincible. I felt untouchable. Uh-huh. I felt numb. Nothing bothered me. Nothing fazed me. And so, man, that was just kind of adding fuel to the fire. Yeah, I was moving from a kid that was just interested in smoking pot and maybe drinking a little bit and maybe drinking a little bit of concert, which is all bad. Don't get me wrong. All that's bad. But now I'm transitioning to something that ruins people's lives. Yeah. I mean, day in and day out, day in and day Mm -hmm. out. And so he introduced me into that. And uh, I would 
you know, that was not as accessible as weed was. Uh, so I would only kind of do that every once in a while. Yeah. But what was happening, I didn't realize that what was happening is my addiction was just getting that much worse. I mean, it, it really was. It was getting that much worse. And I was getting that much more desperate to do anything to get high. I mean, it didn't matter. I, I, I'd do anything to get high. I'd take anything. Uh-huh. It didn't matter. And I remember my mom, not only did she have breast cancer, but she always had uh, some type of health issue going on throughout life. And uh, she had back surgeries and neck surgeries and all types of things. And I remember her being prescribed Oxycontin. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember thinking, man, I bet you that'll get you pretty high. Mm-hmm. And so I remember, um, I, remember I would kind of slip in there and I would kind of, open her bottle and I take me a few pills and I, you know, looking back, that was one of the dumbest things I've ever done. But, um, I'd steal my, I steal pills from my own mama who was in pain cause I wanted to get high. Yeah. I remember taking, uh, I think it was two forty milligram. It was 40 milligram pills. And I would take two, two of them at night, one of them in the morning. And I mean, I'd go to school just absolutely blistered. I'd just sit mm-hmm. there uh, and do nothing the whole time I was there mm-hmm. uh, and so I mean it just kind of just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and next thing I know I kept heading down that road uh, kept getting in more and more trouble in school the next thing I know I remember I guess I was that's about 14 at this point I guess wow uh, I was in the I was in the eighth grade I'd also tried crack we, we tried to make it sound better we'd call it free base crack uh, but it's still just crack. Mm-hmm. And we would smoke uh, crack on, on a blunt, and we'd try and say, you know, that we weren't crackheads because we weren't smoking it straight. But, I mean, in all honesty, we were crackheads. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, I was doing all those things. And Let us in a little bit, Philip, on um, what was going on in your mind when you got to a place in your life, and we're talking 14, 15 years old, right? Yeah. Where um, yeah. you're still in your mom's painkillers and yeah. um, taking whatever you get your hands on to get high. Do you think you ever got to a place where you didn't really care if you lived or died? I mean, when I hear people say, you know, I think about my story too. When they get to a place where they say what you just said, I'd take anything I get my hands on. If I thought it was going to bring me a buzz, did you ever think about this may be the last time I get high? No, I, I never did. Okay. Uh, I, now, I, I didn't ever expect to live long. Uh-huh. Uh, but I never set out trying or, or thinking that this might be the last time I got high. I guess I was just naive in that that aspect. Uh, I, it's not necessarily that you didn't care if you lived or died. You're just chasing a high. Yeah. It, I guess it just didn't matter. Yes. Okay. Um, not that I wanted to die, but right. hey, if I did, that was cool too. You yeah. Because okay. it yeah. was in it was in it was in all my it was in my mind and my friends' minds. Man, hey, we just gonna keep the party going on in hell is what we thought, uh-huh. which we all know is. Yeah. is absurd right uh, there's no partying going on over there but that's another lie of the devil right there you know hey yeah. we partied up here party down there too yeah and that's what we thought so mm-hmm. man it wasn't no big deal mm-hmm. you know so I, I guess i never set out i never had suicidal thoughts right. or thought you know hey this is gonna be the last time i i just didn't didn't care you know if i mm-hmm. lived or died uh i guess I, th- that's really what drugs do to people uh, they, they they take your care away from they, they, they make right. it where man i i remember uh drugs broke every relationship that i had broke my relationship with my mom my dad 
I mean, I look back and I missed out on, on years uh-huh. because I just didn't care. All I was focused on was chasing that high. Mm-hmm. That's, that's all I lived for. When I woke up in the morning, hey, how am I going to get high today? Mm-hmm. And that's what I chased all day long is how I'm going to get high. And so it kind of led to, well, not kind of, but it did lead to uh, stealing pain kills from, killers from my own mom. And, I mean, it just it just kept snowballing. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, we um we found out, and I won't say what it is because I don't want nobody to hear uh, what we what it was, but um, we ended up finding out that if you overdose on this certain cough and cold medicine, it would get you unbelievably drunk. And we were all in a competition to see how many pills we could take. Um, I think you were you were supposed to take two. I think I started the first time I did it. I think I took about six or something like that. And I mean, it it, it was true. It got you unbelievably drunk. And I think I worked up to eight. And we would all, you know, just kind of sit around and brag. Hey, I took eight. Hey, I mm-hmm. took ten. Hey, yeah. I took twelve. And and the longer you did it, the more you would take. You know, you start building mm-hmm. up that tolerance. But um, and I remember going to school on all that. It it all led to this point right here. The point that should have stopped it all. I was still. Uh, 14 years old. It was the weekend of the Bloomin' Festival in Nashville. And I had, I probably had a baggie that had, I don't know, 15 pills in it. I had some Oxycontin. I had some of those cough and cold pills. I had some Ambien. What, I mean, All whatever. Together. Whatever I could get my hands on. You know, I had a little baggie with 15 pills in it. I remember that, that Friday night, and I kind of remember that Saturday morning. But after that, you know, I, I don't know anything till the following Wednesday. And the following Wednesday, I wake up in the hospital bed. Uh, looking back, I can remember I can remember the Friday night being at the Blooming Festival and very vaguely remember uh, that Saturday morning. And next thing I know, it's Wednesday and I'm waking up in the hospital. And I'm waking up with people surrounding me, you know. He's finally awake. He's finally awake. Mm-hmm. Uh, and come to find out, I overdosed. I was the the first of any of my friends of anybody in our school systems that I know of, and I ain't bragging about it, but I was the first to, to, to overdose. Uh-huh. And I and I remember waking up, and I remember, man, folks just thrilled I was still alive and super excited about it. And I was 14 years old, and I remember folks coming. I remember sending in counselors, and the counselor would ask me. I remember her asking me, did I intend on killing myself? I said, no, I, I don't remember anything. I said, I know that I didn't try and kill myself, but I, I don't remember anything. I mean, that to this day, I don't remember that stretch of time uh-huh. at all. Uh, the way that it all kind of worked out, though, from what I've been told, is um, that Sunday night, it's right around Mother's Day. I think, that sun, I think that was Mother's Day. That Sunday night, I had an upstairs bedroom. My parents, they had uh, the bedrooms downstairs. Mm-hmm. And uh, that Sunday night, uh, my mom, she was she was up in the middle of the night doing something, fixing coffee or whatever. And I remember well, the way she told it is she heard a gurgling from upstairs. And she thought, you know, maybe I should go check on Philip and make sure he's okay. And so she makes it upstairs, and uh, she says, I, I had a futon. She says, I was kind of laid back in the futon, uh, gurgling where I had uh, overdosed and I had thrown up and aspirated. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said uh, that I was blue, you know, blue in color. She suffocating. Said, yeah, suffocating. Yeah. I was drowning uh, in my own vomit. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, I want to take a second to just say right there, that's the that's the stuff the devil don't, never tells you about. Yeah, that's right. When he starts you down that path of doing drugs. That's right. I would have never started doing drugs if I'd have known that I'd have been later on down the road dying in my own vomit. Yeah. Suffocating in my own vomit. Yeah. But um, so my mom, I guess, screams, wakes daddy up, and she's giving me mouth to mouth try and resuscitate me 911 you know is called and the fire truck gets there and you know they uh got to do all those uh they, they had to put the breathing tube in and um that's a picture i saw on your facebook it is, right it yeah. is okay. it is with your permission we're going to post that picture on okay. our casting okay down idols website okay. that's fine um but so yeah that she found me um they took me to it was nash general at the time and um, they caught me on the ventilator at Nash General, but then they transported me to the children's hospital, the children's ICU in, in Pitt County. And, um, you know, they pumped my stomach out. And um, they said that there was pills that still hadn't dissolved mm. in my stomach when they were pumping it out, you know. So mm. uh, I, when, I, when I tell you that God is gracious, he is gracious. Yeah. I mean, he gives us so much more grace than oh, yeah. Before I ever even knew him, he was gracious to me, and I'm mm-hmm. thankful for that. Because uh, if I'd have died at that moment in life, I'd have spent eternity in hell. Mm-hmm. Because I was that person. I was that habitual sinner. Mm-hmm. I was that habitual addict that, that, that hadn't been delivered yet. Mm-hmm. And I would have uh, spent eternity in hell. But anyway, um, you know, I, I did my thing at the hospital. I ended up getting double pneumonia uh, from where I aspirated and you know, that was a recovery process and all those things that go along with it. And that was my eighth grade year. Uh, it was, um, you know, May. It was May, my eighth grade year at mm-hmm. the end of the eighth grade year. So I get out of the hospital and mom and dad don't want me to go back to school, you know, because they don't want Probably me to Probably afraid, break. yeah. Yeah, yeah, they were afraid to let me go back to school. Yeah. So I finished out the list, rest of my schoolwork at home for the rest of that year uh, which wasn't much but I finished it out and I did okay that summer you know that was kind of like a wake-up call you know mm-hmm. hey I probably sh- shouldn't do drugs anymore so I did all right that summer I did pretty good but uh didn't really hang out with anybody I don't think I did any I don't think I smoked any weed during the summer anything mm-hmm. you know I did all right you know I was trying to turn over a, a new, new leaf, leaf. Man. I was right. trying to do the your do, power yeah I was trying to do it in my own strength mm-hmm. so I did all right during the summer Coming up on the ninth grade year, I started in high school, and uh, next thing you know, man, just getting around all the old buddies, getting around all the old people, man, next thing you know, I'm riding around smoking weed again. Yep. Like it wasn't nothing. I mean, it's just, just bam, here we mm-hmm. are. I'm back, mm-hmm. I'm back smoking weed. And of course, you know, kind of started that whole snowball effect again. So quickly forgot. Yeah, it was. It how was. close to death you, you it was. actually were just a few it months was. before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a few months before, I almost died because of my drug habit. Now I'm right back to it, right back yep. at it again. So I started hanging with all the wrong folks again. There you go with the gateway people again. Yeah. I get around the wrong people and start doing drugs again. And um, man, it it progressed so much faster this time around though. Next thing you know, I'm doing cocaine again. Next thing you know, I'm I'm smoking crack again, like uh-huh. like it was nothing. Uh-huh. I mean, it's like I just picked it right back up, right back where I left off of, and um, I did that for a while. And I guess my parents noticed that I was heading down the wrong road again. They started trying to take me to counseling, you know, seek uh seek help. Yeah. Um, uh, and I remember going to speak with my counselor, stoned out of my mind, 
You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to talk to her about substance abuse, and, I, and I'm stoned. I mm-hmm. won't even look her in the eyes. You know, oh, I'm just yeah. going to look this way because I don't, I, I don't want them to look her in the eyes. And counseling wasn't working, so they tried. Um, they tried taking me to a psychiatrist. He ends up putting me on some medicine, and in all reality, that's probably stronger than the stuff I was getting. Uh-huh. I was just mixing it all together. Yeah. You know, no big deal. Yeah, uh, that wasn't working. Um, so they took me to a place in Raleigh, a day program, an addiction day program. And, I mean, all these things was just making me more deceitful. It, it yeah. wasn't helping at all. Mm-hmm. I, and I I was, I didn't want any help. I was fine. I was fine. Mm-hmm. They were trying to force me into it. Right, I, I right. didn't want any help. I, yep. I was good. I wasn't the problem. They were the problem. Yeah. I could handle this. Yeah, it almost mm-hmm. killed me a few months ago. But, mm-hmm. hey, I'm all right now. I got a better grasp on mm-hmm. it. And so I, you know, I kept doing all that through my ninth grade year, and they kept trying to get me help and get me help, and it wasn't doing anything. It was just a big old uh, waste of time, really. Yeah, there's a important point right there I want to make to everybody listening. If recovery is going to happen, you've got to want it. You've got a desire in your heart. I believe you've got a desire to break free as much as you once loved the substance or the habit or whatever the addiction was in your life. You got to learn to hate it and see it for what it really is. You know, Philip, you made a comment about the devil doesn't want you to see where the road ends. Right. Because it's destruction and it's death. Right. And and what we've got to do is we've got to see through the lies and understand this habitual lifestyle that I've been living or this addiction I've been taking part in has not brought anything positive, not brought anything good into my life. But the exact opposite of that is true. You right. begin to see it for what it is. You know, Jesus said in John eight thirty two, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Amen. Yeah. Amen. So you, you got to see sin in reality for what it really is. But, you know, for people listening to this episode today, uh, you've got to want to recover. That's you've right. got to want to break That's free. Right. And I believe God offers us everything we need. That's but right. you got to receive it. That's right. You got to decide I'm going to walk in it and I'm going to allow the power of God, not my power, like to turn over a new leaf. Right. Because right. we fail. Right. Right. We do. That's going to conclude today's episode. It also concludes part one of Pastor Philip Bozeman's wonderful testimony. I want to encourage you to take time to listen to part two, the conclusion of his story, as he shares it in season number two, episode number three. I thought about something the Apostle Paul said recorded in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, and he quotes Jesus in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Paul says, and he, referring to Jesus, and Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities than the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let me challenge you today. Don't rely on your own power. If you really want to change, and that's where it's got to start, you've got to want it in your heart. You've got to want to change. You've got to want a new life. You've got to want to leave the past in the past and to walk in the new life I believe God offers you today, just like Brother Philip was sharing in his testimony. You've got to want that. You've got to take responsibility. You've got to discipline yourself that I'm going to leave the past in the past. I'm going to be a new person. And I believe when you do that and you look to God and you cry out to Him, He'll offer you, He'll give you everything that you need, the power you didn't have before to be set free and to be set free forever. Whatever it is that has bound you in the past, it does not have to continue to bind you. You can be set free. I want to pray with you today. 
Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, I thank you for this wonderful story, this wonderful testimony of transformation. I thank you for Pastor Philip Bozeman. I thank you, Lord God, for what you've done in his life, the way you've blessed him, Lord, with a family and a ministry. You've called him, Lord, to be your vessel that you would speak through. And Lord, I thank you for his story. And, and I pray right now as it's gone out and, and folks that have just listened to this part one, I ask that your Holy Spirit would use this story of hope and encouragement to speak to somebody's heart. I'm praying chains will fall off. I pray that hearts will be renewed and redeemed. I pray that walls would come down. And God, I pray that you'd be honored and glorified in it all. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.